Hi guys, this is Fiona from IELTS Exam Training Courses and Members Academy. Today I'm doing something different because I'm not sure what you like to hear in a podcast. I don't know. So I'm trying different things and I'd love to hear from you if you've got any special requests. Some people like me to do the reading and listening texts and explain them and other people prefer to read and listen by themselves. So this week I'm going to talk you through um, my new thing which is my daily blogs. Uh, they're kind of mini blogs and if you go to my website ieltsetc.com then you can see a what's new in the menu and there might be a little um, symbol like a bell telling you that there's new something new and I post here every day with something that I've learnt or been asked maybe in the members academy or online and people are saying that they're finding it really useful just to have one kind of revision tip every day because revision's really important and you might learn something once but unless you use it you, you just forget about it and the idea of the mini blog is for you to um, remember things and think oh I haven't done that for a while maybe I should go back and have a look at it or it could be little things like pronunciation errors I've noticed coming up a lot and things like that so what I'm going to do in the blog today in case you haven't had a chance to read the tips because people are always asking me for tips and you know I've got five million tips it's impossible to reply to an email that says can you send me some IELTS tips it's simply not possible. So I put them all on my website and this is today's tip and it's a question that I had on Friday from one of my members. Um, it was somebody asking should they appeal their IELTS score. So you know you can if you got a score and you think it wasn't right you can appeal and it's quite expensive. It's become more expensive. And my student told me it's almost now the same price as the exam in, in his country. So I wondered if you had any experience of this. My experience is that when I was um, the test day administrator in an IELTS test center, where I worked for about 10 years, um, we, we, totally discouraged students from appealing their score just because we felt it was a waste of their money we saw the results coming back and they very very rarely changed and we we always felt that the student was going to waste their money and we didn't want them to waste their money of course with reading and listening um, the score is marked by a human being not by a computer so there is some error um, margin of error so somebody might make a mistake while they're marking but they are double marked so it's less likely to happen whereas the writing and speaking are not double marked um, they are marked by one person who is highly trained and skilled of course but they're still human they you know people have different opinions about what's band uh, what's a band seven and what's a band six um, depending on their experience and their judgment so it is worth um, appealing if you really think that the score you got is horribly different from 
the one you were expecting. And and these days, things have changed. Um, Examiners are marking way more scripts at a time. And therefore, they might not be as accurate as they were. So I've got kind of three tips on whether you should decide to go for an EOR, so it's inquiry on result. If during your practice and training, your teacher was giving you um, band seven and thinks, okay, you're mostly getting band seven, but in the test you get something like 6.5 or, or maybe even six, then I would say don't appeal because six and seven are, are quite close. Um, they, it might be likely on the day that just the question wasn't quite right. It wasn't quite your day. So I would not recommend if you were always borderline six or seven, then, and it just went down by 0.5, then that probably is an accurate score. However, if your teacher is giving you consistently, without a doubt, without any question mark, a seven, maybe eight even, and then on the day you get 6.5, when all your other scores are high, then it seems that something might be wrong. And if you go to the tip from today, you can see my student Agustan, who I always gave him 7.5 in in writing, and he got 6.5, and he appealed and he got 7 in the end. So I expect that if you're getting 7.5 in your practice, then you'll probably get seven on the day because on the day there are other things to take into account. There's the stress, the tiredness, the nerves. A difficult question could bring you down 0.5 very easily. So I think you really need to be getting consistently 7.5 in order to really definitely get seven in the test. And the other thing is that another student recently was getting eights and nines in everything, reading, listening, and speaking, but still getting 6.5 in the writing. So when I looked at his writing, I could see why he was getting 6.5 very clearly, and he could see it too. So he took the test again and almost always and got the same result. And he agrees he's not going to appeal it because there hadn't been any change between the first and the last test. Um, the score hadn't changed and he could still see why he wasn't getting band seven. So in that case, it, it all depends on what you've been getting throughout your practice. And this is why it's so important to get feedback um, I mean, you could keep trying and taking the exam, you know, you, some people get a different score every time, but that's quite natural because of the question. Um, I had another student who, who did boot camp specifically because they were getting 6.5 in reading, but seven in everything else. So after one more month of boot camp, they got 7.5 in reading, but their writing went down. Because, well, who knows? Difficult question. 
lost focus on writing because they were focusing on reading. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But the thing is, we will never know. They will never give you um, specific feedback because it takes so long to give specific feedback. That's what you have to understand is that if you want specific reasons for why you didn't hit each score, you've got to get a teacher who can tell you that. Otherwise, you'll never understand why and, and you'll never make progress. So when I I know my students get disappointed when they've worked really hard. They work so hard. But when I look back and see what I said in every training session, I find I'm saying the same thing a lot of the time. And this is why it's not enough just to do submit one writing every week. There has to be a lot of work in between. Otherwise, nothing will change. Nothing changes. If nothing changes, um, it's hard. I know it's hard and it's very disappointing and it's upsetting for me as well because I want to see my students make progress. But you have to listen to what the teacher's saying that you need to change and you have to understand what why the teacher thinks that before you can then make the changes. And it's it's tough, it's hard and it's frustrating. I know. It's like trying to lose weight when you think you're doing everything. You've given up chocolate. You go do exercise and still can't lose any weight. It's very frustrating. I know. I've been there. Okay, yesterday's tip was um, the, the use of can and be able to. We were doing a task one letter and it was about your friend lent you a travel guidebook. And you should explain how the guidebook was useful. So one of my students said very nicely, he said, if I hadn't brought your book with me, meaning if I had or if I hadn't read your book, I couldn't find the restaurant. Now, this was an attempt at a third conditional, which is great, very complex, very high level. It's a it's an ambitious attempt. Third conditional is really difficult, as we know. You use it when you regret something about the past or there's something about the past that you can't change. It's impossible. So in this example, he did bring the book and he could find the restaurant. So you have to transform that. If I hadn't brought the book, I wouldn't have... But what's the verb? You can't say I wouldn't have could or I wouldn't have can. Can is really difficult when you try to use it in these third form structures. And you have to change it to be able to. I know that's probably difficult as you're listening. So go and have a look at the um daily tip and in the daily tip there's a search bar so even if you're listening to this six months later you can go to the search bar and put in um, be able to or can and you'll find this one and the other thing so the correct answer is if I hadn't brought your book with me I wouldn't have been able to find the restaurant I wouldn't have been able to find the restaurant. You have to say that instead of I couldn't because 
it's correct. I wouldn't have been able to find the restaurant. And if you go there, I went on to Youglish, which is a fantastic website where you can hear people, uh, clips from YouTube, where people say these phrases very naturally. And it's a great example of fast connected speech. When people say they have difficulty understanding um, people using connected speech, it's because maybe you haven't learnt, your teacher hasn't taught you the pronunciation. And if you understand the pronunciation of this grammar, then you'll be able to hear it. So although you've got maybe five words, would not have been able, that's five, two, six, um, when it comes out in fast speech, they say, I wouldn't have been able to, I wouldn't have been able to, I wouldn't have been able to. So go and watch that video, how people say it. It's a really useful expression. And we often, or they often use it in the videos. They often say, um, without this, so without this book, I wouldn't have been able to find the restaurant. Without your book. It's a really nice collocation and fixed expression to learn. Next tip. So you can go back to all posts, which I'm doing now. And I'm going to look at October the 14th. And this is an expression just shy of. It's all about the James Bond film. And it talks about the statistic, statistics of how much money it made in the first week. So think about academic task one. And there are lots of figures and numbers. You have to include data. But very often the data is quite detailed. So it might say um, 321 point something million. But you don't want to put all of those numbers when you're an analyzing something. You're making the, the graph accessible to the reader. So instead of using all those data, it's very common and useful to round them up to the nearest figure. It make it really makes it much easier to read and understand. So this is exactly what this newspaper did. And it said, um, no time to die has pulled in just shy of $320 million. Just shy of. Meaning, what does that mean? Just shy of, meaning almost $320 million. So, just shy of means just under, slightly less than, or just short of. And it's a, a nice expression. Now, one of my students, uh, Fong, who is an excellent task one writer, I use his examples um, as models because he reads a lot. He reads a lot of this kind of statistical data. And he has a lot of this vocabulary. And I said, look, Fong, I just saw this. What do you think? And he said, yeah, but I thought that was a little informal. And, and he's totally right. It is a less formal way of saying just under. Um, but this is in a written context. It is in a written report about the figures. So I think it's acceptable. And I think using it would give you that um, band seven, eight score of using less common expressions if they're accurate. But even if you decide not to 
used just shy of. The, the advice about rounding figures up is good advice. Um, it helps the reader understand the data. So when you say approximately or about, then it's much better than quoting the exact figure from the text. Okay, let's go back. Daily tip. Um, oh, this was a this was a tricky one. October the thirteenth. Okay, so I do a speaking class in the members' academy every Tuesday morning. There are lessons every day for speaking, but I do a specific IELTS one on a Tuesday morning, and we choose a topic together, and uh, we practice it, and I give feedback. So. Somebody um, had asked me to practice this one. Describe an elderly person you admire. You should say who this person is, how long you've known him, what qualities he has or she has, him or her, and explain why you admire him or her so much. So look at the question. Is it in the past or the present? Describe an elderly person you admire. You should say who this person is how long you have known them, what qualities they have, and explain why you admire them so much. The question is very clearly in the present tense. I mean, the person is still alive. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> um, the reason for that is some people get very emotional and upset about talking about somebody who's not alive. So I specifically asked my students to choose somebody who is still alive. Um, and that is my tip, really. I've just seen students in the interview getting really upset when they started speaking. They chose somebody who had died and or they talked about a photograph with somebody that they loved in it. And they really got very upset and it, it was difficult to continue the um, interview. An example of this, if you watch the video on the daily tip, you'll see that I got very upset because I was listening to nobody had followed my instructions. Well, <laughs> most people chose somebody dead. And it was quite upsetting to listen to, you know, it was just I felt it was so sad listening to those stories. So I know you don't always have to follow exactly what the bullet points say, but for your own benefit, choose somebody completely that you're unemotionally attached to and so that you don't risk getting upset in the test. Okay, let's go back. Um, oh, this one. Okay, October the 12th. I saw an article and the article, um, it was in the conversation, I think. It's a place I really recommend for IELTS text. And it was said, it said, the lynx, the lynx is a kind of big cat, may have survived in Scotland centuries later than previously thought, new study suggests. I saw this headline and I immediately thought of an IELTS article that I've um, got on my website and it's called Bring Back the Big Cats. And it is almost identical. It's a story about rewilding. So it's a very 
um, IELTS-related topic. Um, but also, I wanted to focus on the language. So it said they may have survived. We've got that have there relating to the past, as we saw in the third conditional. The links may have survived. And when you look at the bring back the big cats, I actually had a, a, a lesson included there because they're making guesses as well in that article. And they're saying they may have, they could have, they might have. And if you go to that uh, link or blog, bring back the cats, and it'll help you review these models of deduction. Now, I introduced it to my students on Tuesday. I said, do you remember models of deduction? And really, they, they found it so difficult because we'd done it about six months ago. And again, this is how important it is to go back over these things. You, you never learn things just once. You, you have to keep going back and reviewing them and using them. Um, oh, October the 11th. This was a funny one. This is a poster that somebody had put up everywhere in my village. It's absolutely everywhere, this poster. And it's even got onto the local news. It's, it's about a dog that's gone missing. And the dog um, is called Arnie. And the poster says Arnie is missing. And then it gives you a list of instructions, really strict instructions about what you must do when you see Arnie. I thought this was, this was absolutely ridiculous because, well, the first thing it says is do not call. So if you see Arnie, do not call. Do not approach. Do take a photograph. Do watch exactly where he goes. Do call this number now. And it was all full of commands, really impolite commands. And it really annoyed me. Now, every time I see the poster, I want to take it down. Because if you're asking people to help you, you don't shout at them. You don't bark commands at them. You use polite requests. And this one, there's not even a please or a thank you. And it's something I talk a lot about for general training letters. So to get a more positive response, you could say something like, could you help us, please? Our dog, Arnie, is missing. If you see him, please let us know. It would be great if you could take a photo. Many thanks in advance. But you can't expect people to help you when, you know, it's your fault the dog's gone missing. It's not anybody else's responsibility to help you. So that idea of asking people for help, I think it's really important one. Um, it might be a cultural thing. You know, I get lots and lots of daily requests. Um, give me more tips. Do this. Uh, send me your tips. Um, I want your course. And, and I think if this is the way you're writing a letter, you're just not ready to take IELTS. So it's a very simple lesson and there's a whole lesson about how to do it on my website. So please, if if you think this is difficult, then or if you're doing general training, then please go and check out that lesson. OK, I'm going to do one more, I think. Oh, the, another one. OK, this is another one about general training. 
Um, the daily tip is called accompany. One word, verb, accompany. And, and this was a general training letter about a photograph that um, won a competition and you write your friend, you describe the photo, tell them about the exhibition where your photo will be shown and then invite them to the exhibition. So the key word, write a letter to your friend, should be an alarm bell. And although the instructions are written quite formally, like the where your photo will be shown in the passive, this doesn't mean that your letter should be formal. So most people, when they wrote this letter for me, for my Friday feedback session, they said, would you like to accompany me to the exhibition? So what is the problem with a company? Well, it's much too formal for uh, an informal letter. What would you say? You would choose a, a phrasal verb. You'd say, would you like to come with me, maybe? Um, another word people used was attend. I would like, I would be grateful if you would attend with me. Way too formal. It's, it's just not language that you use with your friend. You'd say, can you come with me? Would you like to come with me? something like that. And what I've done on that link is I've written both letters, a fully formal one. Actually, I'm going to click through it and show you. Um, so there's a formal one and then it's transformed into the informal one. And also there's a, a quiz there with um, some informal phrasal verbs with with. So Listen to the formal one. Dear Sam, I trust you and your family are in good health and happiness. Informal would be, hi Sam, how are things? I hope you're doing well. Formal, I am happy to share the news that my recent photograph has been chosen to be displayed at the upcoming World Art Exhibition in London. Informal, I've got some great news, exclamation mark. You know I put together a collection of photos from my trip to Tanzania, Tanzania, question mark. Well, I got an email this morning saying they want to display them. How cool is that? So questions, speaking to the listener and so on. So go and check that out. And then, so... Things to notice about informal language, asking direct questions. Do you remember putting exclamation marks? How cool is that? Using phrasal verbs, come with me instead of a company. Um, choose contractions, direct commands. Don't be too polite. And adopt a spoken style by dropping unnecessary words like instead of saying it was great to hear from you, you can say great to hear from you, for example. And then when you look at the uh, test, uh, sorry, Quizlet, phrasal verbs with Quizlet, you can choose a study mode. I'm just going to click on this for a minute and see it says learn. OK, and. Okay, hang on, match, start again. Okay, so it's got things like get away with, put up with, team up with, come up with, go ahead with, and stick with. 
and then you match those in the game to the formal verbs and that'll help you have a few extra formal, informal uh, words of vocabulary um, to use in the test. Okay, thank you guys. Please let me know if this was helpful for you. If you don't like listening to it on a podcast, you can go to my website, IELTS ETC, and click, just click what's new. And there's plenty of um, ways that you can write to me and tell me what you think of the podcast version. So if you go to my website, there's a chat bot and there's a contact form. Um, that, and I'd love to let you know. I'd love to hear from you. I, I don't I don't often get ones when people write a comment on my podcast. It, I don't often see them until like months later. I don't know why. So it's better to get in touch with me directly if possible. Okay. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye.